parents are very strict about you only do what you can afford and if you've got the money in the bank you can do it so we're very lucky that we've had that embedded in us well obviously we do our due diligence do our costings we do projections but at the end of the day you've sort of got your fingers crossed that it's all going to work as well (laughs) (laughs) one thing that we have been very successful in is our breeding programs Jesse and Panja, our snow leopards, literally got millions of people around the world watching these on a weekly basis. That's Lynn from Paradise Wildlife Park. Stay tuned in to hear her story. We may be a small part, but a big heart. (laughs) Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast that celebrates professionals working in the visitor attraction sector. What do we mean by visitor attractions? Well, it's an umbrella term for a huge range of exciting organisations that are must-sees, Think museums, theme parks, zoos, farms, heritage sites, tour providers, escape rooms, and much, much more. They're tourist hotspots or much-loved local establishments that educate, engage, and excite the general public. Those who work in visitor attractions often pour their heart and soul into providing exceptional experiences for others. In our opinion, they don't get the recognition that they deserve for this. We want to change this, Each episode, we'll share the journeys of inspiring leaders, we'll celebrate their achievements and dig deeper into what really makes their attractions successful, both offline and digitally. Listen and be inspired as industry leaders share their innovative ideas, services and approaches. There's plenty of valuable information you can take away and put into action to create better experiences for your own guests. Your hosts for this podcast are myself, Kelly Molson and Paul Wright. We're the co-founders of Rubber Cheese, an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com. Search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. You can find links to every episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast. We hope that you enjoy these interviews. And if there's anyone that you think that we should be talking to, please just send us a message. So, Lynn, thank you for being on our Skip the Queue podcast. This is really exciting to have you along today. Kelly and Paul, thank you so much for inviting me along to speak with you and um, share the story of our family wildlife park. You are very welcome. So let's start at the beginning of the of the wildlife park. So I think when your father purchased um, Broxbourne Zoo back in the 1980s, it was, it was widely regarded as, as maybe one of the worst zoos in the UK, which is really sad. But now Paradise Wildlife Park is the number one tourist attraction in Hertfordshire. Can you tell us a little bit about the zoo's renovation and transformation over that time? Yes, definitely. Um, When my parents bought the park, Peter and Grace Sampson, um, that was back in 1984. At that time, they had a large bus and coach company and travel agencies, and they were looking for somewhere to park the coaches, um, you know, and do the the work on the um, buses and that as well. And... um, Broxbourne Zoo, just down the road from us, had come up for sale, freehold land. And um, they thought this is an ideal opportunity to park the coaches and look after those 24-7, but also bring the animals back to health, build sort of like a little Caesar's Palace so we could use the coaches to bring people um, sort of like for evening events to help raise funds for the animals that we will look after. Um, We had a huge passion for animals, but as we were growing up, it was more dogs and the horses and the guinea pigs more than exotic animals. So it was a huge challenge for all of us. And most people thought that we was absolutely mad. 
So they actually bought it on the 1st of April, which is ironical because it's April oh, Fool's ironic. Day. <laughs> yes. And um, so that was in 84. So we've just had our 35th birthday. Um, the first couple of years was actually clearing all the, the rubbish. The original owner had turned it into a local tip where people could pay to sort of tip their rubbish. Um, so it took us a couple of years to sort of move on all the rubbish, as I say, get a lot of the animals back to health, get some of them into larger and sort of better facilities um, for their welfare. So Bobby, the old lion, was in like an aviary and um, very, very small sort of um, cage, really. So that was our first enclosure. And um, funny enough, this year we actually took that down and have doubled the size of it. But um, we built that enclosure and that was for Bobby the lion, which was beautiful. And from there, it just went from strength to strength. A lot of the um, work that we did to start with, people couldn't see. So we had to put in wells, we had to put in sewage treatment plants, we had to do a lot of the underground infrastructure. So they wasn't quite sure what we was actually doing um, with the money when they came in. But gradually it sort of grew up. Um, you know, we did all the infrastructure. We sort of started sort of rebuilding all the enclosures and the habitats and everything for the animals and started colouring it in with all the beautiful gardens and trees. Um, and then at the same time, we opened our restaurant, which catered for our daily visitors. We did weddings and events. Um, and we also had a nightclub as well. So that was a great way of sort of like putting in funds to do all the work that we needed to do um, within the park. That's amazing. I didn't realise there was a nightclub there. Yes, it was. It was called the Zoo Club. It was um, li live music with the overtures and fret monkey. And um, they came for miles around to um, to uh, join us for the evenings. It was absolutely fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> what an entrepreneurial family, though. It's amazing you, you found so many different channels to um, to drive the money that you needed to transform the park. Yes, yeah. We, we certainly come up with lots of ideas. So from my parents through to um, my brother Steve, to my family, immediate family, Craig and the boys, um, to all of our team as well. You know, over the years, we've had some incredible sort of keepers and um, just, you know, the general staff at the park, whether they're admin or maintenance or building or gardens, park services, they all all come up with some fantastic ideas that we're able to um, sort of put into place, really, to help move the park forward. Um, and over the last few years in particular, where we've um, introduced World of Dinosaurs, and we're changing the habitat. So it's sort of less animals, more space for them. It's a much better environment for them and for our visitors to see and a great way of educating people at the same time. So um, we're just about to open Pride Lands, which is for our uh, Lion Pride. And um, again, the enclosure will be double the size of the enclosure that they're in at the moment and really quite natural. That's wonderful. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Mm -hmm. What we really want to hear about now is your role as a director and what that entails. So what would you say that are the best and the most challenging aspects of your role? I think the, the best part of my um, role is every day is different. You are meeting new people every day. Um, I've got an incredible, incredible team around me, not just at Paradise Wildlife Park, which is the Zoological Society of Hertfordshire, but also our big cat sanctuary in Kent. And I think just being outdoors, um, not all the time, because I'm quite office based, but just being able to go outdoors, enjoy the sort of animals that we have and the success we have in our breeding and our conservation, the research that we do, education is just so important. And we do that through fun. So it's great for a complete family day out for all ages. 
Um, and I think that's just really lovely to know that you can deliver that for everybody. You talk about um, education. Mm-hmm. What do you say is the most important part of what you do every day and what the zoo does? Yeah, when it comes to education, there's all different forms. So we have our outreach programme where we go to schools and clubs and we we talk to people about anything to do with the animals, the environment. It could be um, in situ projects, set situ projects. It could be to do with plastics and recycling. There's so many different projects that we can actually speak about, even about um, tourism and just business in particular. You know, it's our signage, our interpretation, it's our staff and out that, you know, go out and actually speak to our visitors, um, whether it could be a show or a presentation. Um, it could be some of our experiences where you can actually go and meet our meerkats and red pandas and tigla tapia and feed a big cat. There are so many different ways that we can actually educate. But I think the most important thing is we can actually bring the families together, the schools together and educate them through fun. So they don't even realise at the time they're being educated, but they go away with so many little fun facts. And it's just a great way of learning. Yeah, totally. I, I just want to go back quickly to um, how everyone gets involved with coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. How do you choose which kind of ideas to go with? Because I imagine it'd be quite a bit of an investment for quite some of these you know, ideas that you have and some of them be quite big and then some will be quite small. What, how do you decide which ones to go with? I think we've tried to learn over the years. So to start with, there were so many ideas that we just continually kept putting in place. Um, and I think yeah. a, a very important thing is um, the parents are very strict about you only do what you can afford. And if you've got okay. the money in the bank, you can do it. So we're very lucky yeah. that we've had that embedded in us. So to start with, we was probably doing too much, too quickly, and um, we had to sort of pull it back a bit and think about where we want the future to be, where we want to go, uh, which animals we want to hold, the breeding programmes we'd like to be involved in, and what we can do. So you've got that balance of family fun. So you've got the play areas, the catering, the events. So it's given that whole package for when our visitors come to see us. So what we do is we have like planning meetings. So we come up with ideas. Some we can do, some we can't. Some we'll put forward for two or three years time. And we try to have a three to five year plan. Some of those could be a five to 10 years. Um, So we've got lots of things that we would like to do on site, but we haven't got the time. We haven't got the money. And that's why we need to really be structured as much as we possibly can. Because at the same time, the site's 35 years old. What we put in then needs to be replaced. So as, for example, we're doing Pride Lands at the moment, we've had to do all the infrastructure underneath with, you know, just our IT, our sewage, all that sort of thing. So everything has to be taken into consideration, as well as what we're actually putting on top of the land to make it look amazing for the environment and the animals that we hold. So you mentioned the world of dinosaurs Mm -hmm. um, a little while ago, and and we're talking about Pride Lands now. Mm -hmm. So those kind of exhibitions and experiences will be a huge amount of investment for for the park. How do you know or how do you look to work out which ones are going to be the best, are going to work out the best for you in terms of what the animals need and what the park needs? Yeah, I think, um, well, obviously we do our due diligence, so we look into them, we look where we're getting from, we do our costings, we do projections. 
Um, but at the end of the day, you're, you're, you've sort of got your fingers crossed that it's all going to work as well. <laughs> so, so there's we'll there's, that, that. there's that on your side as well. Um, but I, I think we've been very lucky, to be honest with you. I think um, with the team that we have, um, especially my husband, Craig, who really looks into things like the world of dinosaurs and where we can get them from and getting the, the right quality. Um, and we're just raising the bar every year. So, um yeah, I think I think it's just making sure we we sort of keep in front of the trends as much as we possibly can, which we always have done as a family, um, and making sure what does go in is quality and exceptionally good value for money as well. Do you regularly speak to the public and get their feedback before you uh, kind of go with any of the ideas? We do. We actually have a newsletter that goes out to our season ticket holders, and at times there's questions in there. We've done questionnaires okay, yeah. before. Um, we go around and talk to our visitors. We're out there. We do get feedback and we act upon that. Some of it is good. Some of it is, you know, what could be improved, which is fantastic. And I think a lot of them have grown up over the years with us. So some of them that came back 35 years ago have now got their own children or their own grandchildren. So they actually feel part of it. So I think it's quite nice. They're quite happy to actually come forward and say, we'd actually like to have this animal. And then we can explain why we can or why we can't. Or is it possible to put this in? A little bit like um, we specialise in areas for different disabilities. So we've got a play area where it's got a wheelchair swing, swings with harnesses. Um, We've got our ramps, disabled toilets. But we've also got a new one now, which has got a hoist um, and a moving bed. And that was asked by one of our uh, members if we could put that in. And that's been so helpful to everyone. You spoke about people coming back year after year. Mm-hmm. Um, is that one of your main challenges, getting people to come back? It is. <laughs> I think, number one, your website, and number two, your marketing is crucial nowadays, especially with sort of like the social media. You know, you're looking at the different platforms that you can utilise, your social influencers, your bloggers, um, YouTubers. You know, there's so many different sort of things out there on the social side of it. It's so important get that across but then what you have to remember is you've still got those that don't necessarily do social media or wouldn't necessarily go to your website which is so important to be clear and very easy to use so it's making sure in the background we've still got our posters up on the big billboards or our general leaflets Um, but the most important advertising is word of mouth and that's why we've got to make sure that we deliver 100% and everyone is engaged from our, our team to our contractors to our visitors. So we know that we are delivering, we're giving good value for money. We're getting that balance between conservation, education, family fun, the breeding of our animals. Um, so people do want to come back. And I think because we're always investing, every year they come back or even half a year, there's something different, something new. So it's something for them to look forward to. Um, and I think. Where we put in um, sort of like our anaconda area, which we've got the largest anacondas sort of on view to the public in the UK, the Amazon building is beautiful. So I think from that and doing our penguin falls, they could see that being built. Then we put in the world of dinosaurs that they could see. Then we've just done pride lands. I think they can see where the money is going, not just within our infrastructure, also with the different breeding programs we have here in the UK and our little re-release programs like the hedgehog release um, but also the projects we work with around the world so I think it's um, making sure we share that with everyone so they understand where every penny is going. 
Lynn, it sounds like one of your core values is that exceptional guest experience from what mm. you've been talking about in terms of um, how you're engaging with your visitors. Um, I, I love what you talked about earlier about the, the facilities that you put in place with the hoist and making it a really kind of inclusive experience. Yes. What do you hope that people will take away from their visit at the park? What do you, what do you want them to do once they've been? I think taking away just respect for the animals and the environment, that there's different ecosystems, we need to be looking after them and protecting them. Um, within our shows and around our site, we talk about plastics and recycling. But again, it's all important messages that we put across in a fun way. So it could be our costume characters that are out and about doing that sort of thing. Um, but I think it's just making sure that they feel part of it and they've taken away lots of information that they can utilise in their own sort of home and workplace and with their families as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about the conservation efforts that you, that you started to talk about? You talked about the hedgehog release programme. That sounded, that sounded fun. But you said that you, talk, um, you work with um, programmes all around the world as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about those? I think, you know, our our little motto is our life is wildlife and we've got to make sure that we don't only look after the animals, but we look after, obviously, the environment for them as well. And um, over the years, right from the very start, um, our family um, helped start and run Project Life Lion, which was um, out in the Serengeti where the lions were being killed from um, distemper, which was coming from the dogs in the villages around the Serengeti. And... um, with London Zoo, the University of Minnesota and several other places around the world actually came together with vaccines, volunteers, um, Disney donated a Jeep and um, they went round the Serengeti injecting the dogs. And to start with, the locals in the villages were completely against it. They didn't understand. They thought their dogs were going to be put down or injured. And gradually they came round and they would be queuing up, have their dogs and little puppies um, injected. And because of this... Um, the distemper obviously was more or less wiped out and the population of lions grew incredibly Um, but they relaunched that charity to Afriat Serengeti and um, it's now a human charity as well and rabies in children have gone down by 94% so that was a huge project um, that my brother Steve sort of took the the lead on back in sort of like the late 80s, 90s Um, and then from there um, we've sort of helped raise and fund for a lot of the animals that we we actually um, house at the, the park. So it could be the red pandas, the lowland tapirs, Brazilian tapirs, um, snow leopards, obviously the Amir tigers, we've had cheetahs. Um, so there's lots and lots of different breeding programmes um, that we have that uh, we financially support um, and help um, do events about, not only at the park, but we financially support um, those projects out in the field. Um, And it's only in recent years where we've actually been able to do this ourselves and some of our team have been able to go out and help. So, for example, a few years ago, I went out to Sumatra and um, spent two weeks out in the rainforest with the Tiger Conservation and Protection Unit. Um, Out of all the the challenges and things that I've done, that was the most dangerous. So we went across um, the Sumatran rainforest in Quinchy Sablat over two weeks. Um, It was myself and Cheryl with um, three of the rangers, and we had no tents, no toilets. Um, It was exceptionally dangerous. We was taking down live snares, illegal camps on a daily basis. 
but was so educational, so amazing to meet the people and the work they do with such little funds and equipment that they needed. And um, they just achieved so much. But we was coming across sort of the logging where they were just literally um, slash and burn and taking down the rainforest, um, the illegal plantations like the palm oil and everything. And don't get me wrong, some of that you can understand. If it's the local people, they're like us. They want the best for themselves and their children. They want their children to be educated and they need to find a way of raising funds for that. So as a little farm, they can actually achieve that. But it's when the big corporates come in and sort of take over and then it gets out of hand and, you know, we're just taking away the natural environment for the animals that need to survive. Um, but that's just a couple of the projects that we've done. Personally, um, uh, with a team, actually, of um, other Z friends around the UK, we did Kilimanjaro. Uh, we did a relay channel swim. Um, Tyler and I actually went to every space camp last year in Mount Kalapatar, and we went to the Chichuan National Park to learn about their work. Wow. So there, there's, there's lots of things that not just my immediate family, but our team do as well to help raise funds. Um, and this year I've got, every year I have a different fundraising plan. So um, my 16th consecutive London marathon, I've got the London Surrey, wow. <laughs> yeah, the London Surrey 100 bike ride, um, the Serpentine two mile swim. We have a skydive at the Big Cat Sanctuary, our sister park, we at the side at Headcorn. Um, so that's in July. And there, there will be a project at the end of this year that we will be going abroad to help support, but we're not 100% which one we're actually going to do yet. I'd like to keep yourself busy, don't you, Lynn? <laughs> yeah, I totally. yeah, I can't, I don't have a lot of time to get the training in. That's the difficult thing. But um, it's mental, it's mental stamina. And I think it's just, yeah, I think that highlights probably the fact that I'm a bit mental, but there we go. <laughs> well, I think that's fantastic. And what, these, these activities that you do, is that all raising, what, what's that raising funds for? Um, to get my place in the London Marathon, I actually run with um, President Sporting Club, which is um, the Essex Disability Charity, and they support children with disabilities in sport. And some of those have actually gone on to one gold in our Paralympics, which is incredible. And it would be lovely for people to look up the charity because it is just heartwarming to see what they've achieved over the years. And um, so that's one of my fundraisers for this year. Um, we have three charities as a family. We have where Paradise Park is located. It's the Zoological Society of Hertfordshire. It's a full charity. Um, it used to be called Friends of Paradise Wildlife Park and it was run by some of our team, including myself, as well as a lot of volunteers. And um, that would be events at the park. We would, we've got a little conservation stall down on the animal park and our keepers actually do animal weekends. So it could be Red Panda weekend or Reptile weekend, Bird weekend. And it's nice because the keepers can actually choose which charities they would like to send um, some of the money that's raised from those weekends to. So it'll relate to their section on the animal park. So that's one charity, which is Zoological Society of Hertfordshire. And that gave 35000 last year in cash to projects in the UK and around the world. But we also give auction and raffle prizes as well. Um, and then our Big Cat Sanctuary, which is Wildlife Heritage Foundation, that's based in Kent. That is a sanctuary purely for the small and the big cat. So we've got the smallest, which is the Rusty Spotted, up to the Amiela Tigers, which is the biggest. Um, it's not open to the public, but we have five amazing open days a year, seven stunning luxury lodges. And at both parks, we do our experiences. 
So that helps raise funds for the different projects, um, again, around the world. Um, last year, from the Big Cat Sanctuary, we donated 50,000 plus the auction and raffle prizes. So added together, it was about 200, 250,000 last year. And we'll be doing the same this year. But the important thing this year is um, my three boys, Aaron, Tyler and Cameron, that have grown up in the park from being costume characters, working on a little charity stall, working in farmyard, up to all the other <laughs> sections, then helping with events and weddings and parties around the park. Um, they actually went off to do um, Drive for Wildlife. So they actually went to four countries that we have supported for many years. So Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania and Kenya. And that was actually funded by Motor Vision. They actually won a grant from them. So the idea was, was to help um, those areas with motor parts, as well as looking at the environment and obviously doing the right thing when it comes to fuels and emissions, etc. They actually spent a month out there going around the four different countries and raising funds. And the money that we're actually going to raise uh, will actually buy um, a rescue and um, an anti-poaching vehicle. So um, that's what all the money is going towards this year. But while they were out there, they also donated to Uganda Wildlife Education Centre, who um, took in two of our lionesses that we hand-reared about 10 years ago. Um, they were looking for um, lionesses to go back to Africa. Um, it's easy to bring animals out of Africa, but not easy to take the animals back. But it was to help more for education <laughs> than breeding. And Zara and Bisa went out there 10 years ago, and we financially supported them um, over those years for their food and their veterinary care. Um, so they went there to work with them where they rehabilitate and put back into the wild chimpanzees and the elephants, um, sort of reptiles, that sort of thing. Um, African um, Wildlife Foundation that do amazing work through all the countries. Um, and Olpegeta, where the boys actually went and met the last two northern white rhinos, um, which was two females and you know, a very, very sad story. But um, at least it's um, helping with the awareness and raising the funds that they need for the future. So um, this year we've already um, ticked quite a few boxes and um, donated um, quite a bit, but there's a lot more to come. Gosh, Lynn, what an absolutely incredible thing for your sons to be able to do. What an amazing experience. Yeah, and um, your listeners can actually follow them. Um, on Drive for Wildlife um, on our website and on YouTube. Um, there's some amazing films out there that have put together. Oh, brilliant. Well, what we'll do is all of the things that we talk about today, we'll add links to in the show notes mm -hmm. so that all of our listeners will be able to go and, and look at the initiatives that you're working on and hopefully be able to continue the support as well. That's fabulous. Thank you. Actually, this brings me quite nicely to, to a question around what some of the unique challenges that the zoos face. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it. There is some uh, negative experience that people feel towards zoos sometimes because they don't maybe understand the conservation efforts that do go on. Would you say that that was one of the unique challenges zoos face? Yeah, we do face a lot of challenges. I think the most important thing is getting a balance. Um, you know, at the end of the day, do we want to have a zoo? Perhaps um, we don't. But at the end of the day, we do understand that these animals do need a place. You know, we took over a zoo where the animals were um, very inbred, very unwell. We got them back to good health. Um, and from there, those animals have helped as ambassadors for raising funds and, you know, for the education side. Also, some of those have been part of breeding programmes. And, you know, we're legislated by our zoo licence. 
We're members of BIASA, the British and Irish Association, um, EASA, the European, and the World Association of Zoos. And, um, you know, we work very closely with them and they all have their protocols and their welfare and everything else that we want to address. We want to achieve more. And um, we are going to be accredited, hopefully, later this year, where we want to, you know, make sure that everything is in place for the animals in our care. Now, it's very easy for people to say, right, we should close zoos and there shouldn't be zoos. But at the end of the day, out in the wild, it's not easy for those animals out in the wild either. Um, you know, you've, you've got the illegal wildlife trade. You've got those that are cutting down sort of the rainforests. You've got population growing and, and moving into sort of like the areas where the animals are. So it's so important that we do get this balance. So there is wildlife. And there is breeding and there is a future for everything for not only my children and my grandchildren, but future generations. Otherwise, there won't be anything for them to see. And unfortunately, because of um, the illegal wildlife trade, you know, if we don't do something to stop it, it will all be gone. Sure. You talk about engaging with the next generation, the younger audience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, how, do you, how do you go about that? We have different um, education programs in place at the park, um, and these can be found on our website as well. So it's right from the nursery schools, the kindergartens, through all the different key stages. Um, and again, you know, they're written specially for those age groups to help them engage, um, again, to do it through fun. And um, actually a good one that Aaron and Amy have put in place this year. Amy is our education officer. Aaron is my oldest son. Um, they've put in place Heart. And that is about um, bringing together local schools to look at recycling, make life-size animals out of recycled matter. It could be plastic bags, it could be bottles, it could be anything. Um, And then what we're going to do, we're going to bring those um, statues on site at the end of May for the half term for for everyone to see. And then in September, we're actually going to auction them off to raise funds to go out to our conservation projects in Africa. And it's been quite encouraging because normally you would send an email out and you wouldn't necessarily get a lot of engagement. But for this one, we've got 13 schools that have actually signed up and um, there are already more waiting to um, join us for next year's. So that's a great way to educate and get everyone involved. So speaking to teachers and schools is really important. Very, to, very. To what yeah, you do. Having, having that relationship um, with them, but also with the little children um, it's interesting because we may say, oh, you know, um, we like tigers or something. But if you ask the children what they really like when they come to the park, it could be the rabbits or, it, you know, it could be they just want to go in the paddling pool. So, um, again, <laughs> it's just making sure you have something for everybody, um, whether it's the animals or whether it is just, you know, the the talks, the presentations, our uh, paddling pool, dinosaurs, whatever it may be. It's just getting that balance. So. At the same time, you are still educating them through their fun day out with their family. So how do you reach out to schools and start that conversation and build relationships with them? Oh, we have our education officer and um, she'll be in contact with them via email. And, um, you know, the schools are looking for somewhere to come as well. Uh, And it's nice for the schools to get the children out, you know, into the fresh air, you know, just so they they can sort of, um, I don't know, it's an adventure for them, isn't it? Um, and it yeah, may be that they totally. just go around our woodland um, and we've got a little um, 
area at the bottom, the little nature reserve, where we've got our foxes, foxes our deers, um, and that, and they they can go in there and they can do sort of like tree rubbings and collect the leaves and take them back to the schools and utilize them. So there's so many different things that you know we can achieve when it comes to the education side of it. We may be a small part, but a big heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. One thing that we have been very successful in is um, our breeding programs. So over the years, we've been very successful uh, with all, all different sort of species of animals. Um, but this year, we've had two recommendations, and that's for Tilly and Nampanga red pandas. And if you haven't seen them, there is the most amazing um, film on YouTube of Tilly doing somersaults in her little breeding box. And then we've also got Jesse and Panja, our snow leopards, who are very loved up. And again, there's some fabulous short films <laughs> out there. And they've actually been picked up by NBC and ABC. And uh, we, oh, we wow. have literally got millions of people around the world watching these on a weekly basis, which is a fantastic way of getting the message out there. Do you, I mean, you mentioned earlier about influencers. Mm-hmm. Are the animals your influencers? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. They're our little stars. I mean, yes, absolutely. Uh, do you actually have human influencers? Or? We do, yes. Through Time Redmond, they would apply to come to the park. Um, they're obviously looked into to see what following they have, etc. Um, make sure it's for the right age groups as well. Um, and they'll come in normally for a day. They will go around the park, film it put out different blogs um, on YouTube, whatever it may be, um, and, you know, say the good and, and the bad, perhaps, um, of what a, what a day they've had at the park. And nine times out of ten, it's absolutely fantastic, which is, you know, what we're looking for. But it's a great way to sort of market the business and the park. How did you build the relationships with them and uh, approach them? That's through our amazing marketing team. <laughs> they do that, ah. which is, um, yeah, which um, Tyler takes the lead on. Um, Redman um, has grown up with the boys um, and he actually went um, and did the Drive for Wildlife with them as well. Do you have a, an internal marketing team? Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's internal. We have got um, an agent also that helps as well. So that's getting out, out into the wider sort of news, the worldwide news. Um, and it does get picked up, which is lovely. Uh, and I think we're very lucky with the background that the boys have in broadcasting and film and TV. So that does help them with the quality as well. They've got a good background. I mean, it sounds like social media and video in particular has been very successful for you. Would you say that's helped drive um, ticket sales? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a huge part um, of you know how our numbers going up which is fantastic but also last year we had the most incredible summer as well didn't we so the weather was fabulous so and the nice thing was where the world of dinosaurs is it's in the woodland so you had the tree coverage from the sun and then you have the paddling pool if you want to go out in the sun and then you've got the animals to wander around in between so it was absolutely perfect for all weathers so you're 35 years old this year. I, I wish I was. The park oh, is. <laughs> <laughs> the park is 35 years old yes. this year. Um, what can you tell us about the future for Paradise Wildlife Park? What's coming next? Um, as I said earlier, um, we're looking at less is more. So we're looking at the animals that we um, look after and care for at the park. Um, making sure they are the ambassadors and part of breeding programs um, that we would like to go forward with. Um, and also 
having less means that we can have more space for them, um, make their exhibits um, and their habitats much more natural for them. Um, so that's the way we're going with the um, park itself um, and making sure that we do everything first class and at a very, very high quality um, and making sure that everyone feels part of that. And then at our sister park, um, the Big Cat Sanctuary in Kent, um, it's exactly the same. You know, we're, we're looking now at um, our small cats and perhaps relocating them to another area of the actual sanctuary. So they've got sort of larger um, enclosures themselves. Um, and then just looking at the habitats that we have for the big cats um, and just making sure the infrastructure is there. Um, our biggest problem here at Paradise, although from our front gates we can actually see Centre Point, London, just literally a stone's throw away, we had to put in our own electric substation. It looks as if we're going to have to put another one in over the next sort of year. Uh, we're looking at traffic calming at the front of our front gates. Um, our largest does need renewing. Um, so there's always um, something that people can't see that um, you're looking sort of like, you know, quarter, half a million that needs to go into those to get them right before you can actually do the other bits and pieces you would like to do in the future. So that's why we have the planning meetings to try and get the steps in the right place. Absolutely. But it's a very exciting future. Uh, actually, I was going to ask this. Uh, it's quite a big question, but what do you think is the future for uh, zoos in general? I think there will always be a place for zoos. Do you think they will evolve into maybe something more interactive? Yeah, they, more interactive? they will evolve. Yeah, they will do, definitely. Yeah, they will evolve. And I think that's what we're doing now just by, you know, yeah. um, having less animals, more space. Um, so I think they will do, and I think, you know, everyone has to look at the animals that um, they are looking after and their welfare and making sure we're doing the best thing that we possibly can for them. But I think there is a place for zoos and aquariums in particular as well. Um, and, you know, as I said, you know, if we're not careful, we're going to lose the wild. So we need to get a balance between them. That's the most important thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think less is more is a great mantra then thank you thank you so much for being on the podcast today we have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you thank you thank you for being our first podcast guest. i feel honored to have like harpish's number one visitor attraction for the first podcast is great no it's been absolutely fabulous thank you so much and i hope that you'll be able to come down and visit us this summer and um, perhaps we can do a live podcast from paradise wildlife park and You'll be able to see our Lion Pride lands. We would absolutely love it, Ellen. <laughs> Thank you so much. You can find links and notes from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast, or search Skip the Queue on iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. Please remember to leave a rating. It helps other people find us. This podcast was brought to you by Rubber Cheese an award-winning digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for visitor attractions. Find out how we can create a better experience for you and your guests at rubbercheese.com.